we inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome to the show, AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. I'm your host, Walker Wildman. Glad to be with you today on the show. Our verse of the week is out of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's wisdom that each and every one of us can heed in our daily lives here on this earth as we interact with uh, our loved ones, as we interact with anyone. Uh, Remember that a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's Proverbs 15.1. It's amazing what a soft answer can do. It can, uh, uh, this proverb is, is uh, prophetic to the fullest extent and the accuracy there of what a soft answer can do. AFA at the core, if you want to listen to our podcast, you can do that. If you're not able to get the entire show live, you can go back and listen at your convenience. Or if you just want to listen again, you can do that. Uh, our first and, and primary way to uh, listen to the podcast is on our website, AFR.net. That's our website, AFR.net. Also, we have the app available on your smartphone and your tablet device. It's also on uh, devices like your Roku and Apple TV. We have the AFR app available in many places for your convenience. And then lastly, you can subscribe to my podcast wherever you listen to podcast, whether it be Spotify are in your native uh, podcast stores on Apple or Android devices. So a lot of different ways out there for our listeners, for our supporters to keep up with the show. And I got a a report this past week, and Bobby uh, probably received the same thing, but AFA is the core. It made it into the the top 10 podcast for the network here, but we're going to try to take it all the way to the top, Bobby. Oh, yeah, we're going to the moon. Yeah, we're going yeah, to the top. No question. And you know, Bobby Thanks helps to the listeners. Yeah, that's right. Thanks to our supporters. You know, Bobby helps produce uh, Abe's show, The Hamilton Corner. So Bobby's going to have to pick and choose. You know, who who do we take to the top? I can give one hundred ten percent both arenas. There you go. So yeah. we'll have like like AFA at the core number one, and like the Hamilton Corner at number two. Exactly. And we'll we'll bounce back and forth. And we got Marty, <laughs> our videographer over here, and he that's takes right. good care of all the pictures and. All that goes along with that, and uh, yeah, it's it's a, a, an awesome tool that we have, uh, being in quote unquote radio. That's right, and being to do be able to do so much video to uh, to bring to the audience's attention. Yeah, and speaking of video, what Marty's over here working on, we're live streaming the show on the American Family Radio Facebook page, and we're also live streaming on the AFA at the Core YouTube channel. You can go to the American Family Radio on Facebook or AFA at the Core on YouTube. And watch the show live each day, and we archive that as well. Jumping right into the uh, news of the day, yesterday I touched a little bit on this week, really the past two days, about this eviction moratorium that expired on the evening of July 31st. It expired, meaning that people that were renting uh, could be evicted now for not paying their rent. And that eviction uh, moratorium had been going on for over 10 months, close to 11 months. 
from uh, September 2020 all the way through the end of July, well, it ended. The CDC ended that moratorium. Well, then came out the socialist. Then came out the AOC, the squad, all the Democrats that are in favor of (laughs) whatever free housing. They call it um, housing is a human right. Uh, They've got a slogan that they say. Um, but this, uh, the, the, they, the, the Biden administration faced a lot of pressure in the past few days to renew this eviction moratorium and extend it even more, even though despite the fact that our economy, while it, it is having issues in certain areas, overall, the economy is doing fairly decent. We've got an inflation problem. We've got an employment shortage problem. We've got major supply chain issues. But my, my point is, is is that there are jobs available. There are jobs, over 9 million jobs available for Americans to work. So we're not, we're not facing a, a job market shortage. We've got plenty of jobs out there for Americans to work and to earn a living. And so this is not about that. This is not about we're in some kind of economic recession and people can't find work. That's not what this is about. Well, the Biden administration, they succumbed to the pressure yesterday. And they renewed the eviction moratorium and pushed it all the way through October of 2021. This, what the CDC did here is blatantly, blatantly illegal. And here's why. The Supreme Court weighed in on this. There was a case before the Supreme Court. It was ruled five to four that the CDC, this this case was challenging the CDC's eviction moratorium because you've got hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of landowners out there that are going broke, that are having to file bankruptcy because the people renting from them are not paying their bills. Well, the Supreme Court heard this case back in June, and they ruled on it in late June. This story is dated June 29, 2021. The high court ruled five to four that the CDC could let the moratorium go until July 31, but under one uh, stipulation. Should the CDC want to renew the eviction moratorium, should the Biden administration want to continue it, they must go through Congress. That's what the Supreme Court said, meaning the Congress would have to pass a law, and I told you the other day they didn't do that. They went on August recess. The House of Representatives went on August recess last week without passing a law extending the eviction moratorium. The CDC yesterday ignored the Supreme Court and renewed the eviction moratorium. If this was the Trump administration, there would be Washington, D.C. would be burning. And Republicans and Democrats would be uniting to stop this tyrant, Donald J. Trump. But here we have Biden in office, and everything's smooth, everything's easy. The Supreme Court, they're supposed to be putting out the law of the land. Isn't that what we're told? Anytime the Supreme Court says something, it's the law of the land. We've got to do whatever the Supreme Court says, even though that's in dispute, whether they actually make law. They don't. They issue opinions. They issue legal opinions. They don't make law. But traditionally, the CD, the, the Supreme Court is the last say. 
Whatever the Supreme Court says, that's what goes. And in this case, it's the opposite. It's whatever the Biden administration, that goes. And this is absolutely stunning that the CDC is this bold. But this shows how bold the Biden administration is. And I'm not talking about the president himself. I'm talking about all the all the advisors around him that are pushing this left-wing socialist agenda. So now we have landowners that are now going to go more months without an income, without their rental income, uh, because we're letting people live rent-free in America. This is a, a story out of Politico covering this uh, announcement yesterday. Listen to the fawning over the socialist administration. Quote, quote uh, this is from Politico, quote, after days of progressives fuming over the failure to prevent the federal eviction moratorium from expiring, the White House abruptly shifted its calculus on Tuesday and enacted a new ban, Politico wrote. The story goes on to say it was a, it was a remarkable 180, a symbolic reversal, a retreat, Politico acclaimed, calmed a potentially combustible intraparty rift, and kept resistive Democrats unified. <laughs> Politico went on to explain that kowtowing to the left will earn Biden loyalty as he advances his bipartisan infrastructure deal. That's not true. The Democrats don't want a bipartisan deal. At least the radicals don't. So the CDC ignores the Supreme Court, continues the eviction moratorium, and continues to punish landowners. If you want to know... Bobby and I were talking about this during show prep. If you want to know how many people rent in America, how many people do uh, rental property, how many people rent housing units, that number in 2020 was approximately 43 million. In 2020, this is from Statista.com, in 2020 there were approximately 43 million housing units occupied by renters in the United States. This number has remained steady since 2014, but is part of a long-term upward swing since 1975. 43 million housing units. That's 43 million families. And here's what this means. Here's what this CDC edict means, which, as I mentioned, what the CDC has any business doing, issuing eviction moratoriums, your guess is as good as mine. But this means that all 43-plus million renters in America, they cannot pay their rent, and they cannot be removed from their housing unit. Theoretically, all 43 million of these families, of these people, could uh, go months without paying their rent, and the landowner could have no recourse, absolutely no recourse, no way uh, to move on, no way to to collect that money that is missing. It's absolutely, um, absolutely crazy what is going on economically. And this is, uh, many were talking about how that was going to help the housing market, ending the eviction moratorium, because uh, that was going to make some more housing become available, but that's not going to happen now. Uh, that's not going to happen now. The uh, Spectator story I covered about the New York Times quashing the COVID-19 origins investigation that I covered yesterday. It came with a little twist this morning when I was doing my show prep because I was uh, reading up on a Tucker Carlson show last night on Fox News, and he revealed what really has been out there, public knowledge, for the last 
the last uh, year, really, since 2020, this report came out. We're going to go ahead and play uh, one clip. This is, uh, let's play clip uh, six. This is part one of the Tucker Carlson about uh, Chinese giving money to media organizations. Clip six. Financial filings show the New York Times made more than $100,000 a month from this garbage. Those payments were not disclosed at the time. They were hidden from New York Times readers. They were only uncovered after the fact by the Washington Free Beacon. And the Times wasn't the only news organization that did this, that took money from the Chinese Communist Party. Since 2016, the Chinese Communist Party paid $20 million to outlets like the Los Angeles Times, the Chicago Tribune, and the Washington Post. Twitter, which now operates as a publisher, also received checks from the Chinese government totaling hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now, these arrangements, as we said, continued for years. And then last summer, they stopped abruptly. The New York Times tried to hide the evidence that any of it ever happened. But why? The New York Times won't say when we asked. We do not discuss revenue beyond what is in our quarterly earnings report, a spokesman told us this morning. So we kept looking. That's it. That's why the New York Times, that's presumably why the New York Times would not run a story on the origins of the coronavirus. You know, the lab leak theory that we now know as an established reality, an established fact. The Times, according to two well-placed sources, refused to investigate the biggest story of our time. Reading from the Spectator article, instead, senior editors are alleged to have suppressed efforts to probe the virus's origins. And the Times led the charge to dismiss any questioning of the WHO now-discredited line as conspiracist or even racist. Anybody who talked about where the virus came from and the lab leak theory, they were dismissed as racist. And we remember the White House press briefing where the president of the United States, Donald J. Trump, was at the podium. And one of the reporters kept saying, why do you keep referring to this as the China virus? Why do you keep referring to this as the China virus? Isn't that racist, Mr. President? (laughs) Well, that reporter, her news agency, gets hundreds of thousands of dollars from the Chinese Communist Party. That's why our media dirty conglomerates in America spent overtime defending the Chinese. We'll be back in a few minutes. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Though the pandemic disrupted family life across the U.S., some parents are grateful for one consequence. They're now homeschooling their children. Familial reasons vary greatly. Some families are responding to their children's special needs. Others seek to inculcate their Christian beliefs in their children's instruction. Some thought homeschooling would be temporary. Now they can't imagine someone else training their children. Based on U.S. Census Bureau data, the rate of homeschooling households rose to 11% by September 2020. That's more than double the rate from just six months prior. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. 
This is Raising Godly Girls Minute with Patty Garibay of American Heritage Girls. Research shows that poetry can help us connect with our feelings and empathize with others. We know that putting pen to paper can actually alleviate feelings of stress when we're faced with common human difficulties like illness or loss. Poetry, unlike simple journaling or keeping a diary, provides a creative, thoughtful outlet for expressing emotion. But poetry can feel very different for girls who aren't familiar. Some of the most beautiful poetry ever written can be found in Scripture. In fact, 30% of the Bible is written in poetic form. The Song of Songs is a popular place to start studying biblical poetry. Playing around with poetry, cadence, and metaphors might help your girl discover a new way to express her emotions and give you an outlet into her feelings. Learn more about empowering girls through the love of God at RaisingGodlyGirls.com. You know, if you feel like you're stuck with a healthcare plan that isn't affordable or you simply don't like it, right now is a great time to switch to MediShare. The typical family saves $500 a month when they join MediShare. And what's more, they like it. MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to the typical health insurance plan. That's double. So you get a massive network of providers to choose from. You get telehealth services. And MediShare is the most trusted name in healthcare sharing. It's been around for more than 25 years, shared more than $4 billion in healthcare bills. Here's why now really is the time to make the switch to You can start saving each month, which is huge, but right now they'll waive your joining fee. So you'll save another $170 right off the bat. But again, it's a limited time offer. You got to call now. And it only takes two minutes to find out how much you'd save by switching. Here's the number, 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE, 833-44-BIBLE. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Worship Wednesday is what we do here each week on the show, each Wednesday. And the song there is from Andrew Ripp, uh, artist there. The song is called Jericho. And I did a little bit of reading yesterday on really the the, the biblical uh, history and stories behind the, the town or the city of Jericho. It's pretty fascinating, very fascinating. Um, the specific... Um, 
instance that that song is based on about tearing the walls down, uh, the walls of sin and shame, uh, which Christ does for us, come out of uh, Joshua chapter 6. Pretty fascinating story there. Uh, the Israelites coming into the promised land and uh, and to Jericho, taking over Jericho. So that's pretty fascinating. You can read uh, that Bible story in uh, Joshua chapter 6. That's what that song is based on. So there you go. The name of that song is Jericho. Back to the uh, story I was talking about before the break on these media organizations taking money from the Chinese Communist Party. These are American media organizations, or at least they claim to be. I'm going to play one more clip, and then I'm going to get into the specific dollar amounts that these agencies, that these news organizations have taken from the Chinese Communist Party. Let's play clip seven. This is a part two. Former CDC Director Robert Redfield told our own Sanjay Gupta in a new CNN documentary that he believes COVID-19 originated from a lab in Wuhan, even though Obviously, there has been no formal evidence to support the theory. You know, the lab leak theory doesn't seem like a plausible theory unless you aggregate the biggest collection of uh, coronaviruses and put them in a lab. The theory that the virus originated in a lab in Wuhan, China. But tonight, Dr. Anthony Fauci tells National Geographic that, quote, this virus could not have been artificially or deliberately manipulated. Both scientists and the U.S. intelligence community agree that this coronavirus was not man-made. That is not a possibility. It, it came from a natural source. It didn't come from a lab. A lot of people on the right love that phrase, escape from the lab, because it sounds like something from a Marvel movie or a comic book. It sounds like they're talking about a man-made virus that China was weaponizing that got out of control. I have to credit that montage to the Fox News producers. Tucker Carlson shows where that montage came from, but... You know, that's uh, that was glorious. That was amazing. That was a montage of all the media, many of them, from multiple organizations, all saying, making fun of people who want to talk about that this coronavirus that acts unlike anything we've ever seen, talk about where it came from. We can't talk about where it came from. Even though there were our own government, even going back to the Obama administration, they warned of the Wuhan lab. They warned that, hey, these guys over in the Wuhan lab don't know what the heck they're doing. They're meddling around with these bat viruses, and they don't know what they're doing. As a matter of fact, the level of safety, personal protective equipment they were using was laughable. They were they were using like what you go into a dentist office. When you go into a dentist office, pretty much if if my recollection is correct here, pretty much in a dentist office you get gloves and a mask as far as the people performing the dental procedures. You get gloves and a face mask for people uh the dentist who are hovering over you cleaning your teeth or whatever. Every once in a while you might get a face shield. But that's the that's like I think that's called level two on on the level of personal protective equipment needed to handle these uh, these samples these viruses in these labs. Well, that's what they were using at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. They were treating it as if it was a dentist office, but they were handling like biological weapons, stuff that could be used in biological warfare. That's what they were handling it with, but with such carelessness. 
in this laboratory, and that's why that's what prompted the State Department report uh, on what's going on in this lab in Wuhan, China. And by the way, uh, we're still uh, our NIH has not blacklisted that lab yet. Uh, they're they're still eligible for grants through the NIH program, at least uh, grants that bounce from one entity to another, which is how it happens. Uh, one entity. Uh, even a U.S.-based entity can apply for these NIH grants, and then they, in turn, give it to the Wuhan lab. Uh, so that's still going on today as we speak. President Trump tried to ban U.S. dollars from going to those labs, but he faced a lot of backlash from the from the status quo people in Washington, D.C., claiming uh, that this Wuhan lab was doing such good work for the world <laughs> that we got to keep giving them money. That is so, so very laughable. Back to the numbers that some of these media entities in the U.S. received. And the only way we know this, the only way we know this is because legally this uh, Chinese entity called China Daily, it's an English-based Chinese propaganda media arm of the Chinese Communist Party, they have to legally file a Foreign Agents Registration Act form under the Justice Department because they are a foreign agent for the Chinese Communist Party operating here in America. China, this is back in 2020. An English uh, language newspaper controlled by the Chinese Communist Party's propaganda department paid U.S. media companies nearly $2 million dollars for printing and advertising expenses over just the past six months. So this published, this uh, report from the Daily Caller was published in November of 2020. So in the previous six months, the Chinese Communist Party spent $2 million in media campaigns in the U.S., even amid heightened scrutiny over Beijing's disinformation efforts in the West. China Daily paid the Wall Street Journal more than $85,000, they paid the L.A. Times, the Los Angeles Times, $340,000 for advertising campaigns between May and October of 2020. China Daily also paid Foreign Policy Magazine $100,000 during this period. The Financial Times, a U.K.-based newspaper, they paid them $223,000. And then uh, the last outlet, well, no, there's more. Don't fret. $132,000 went to the Canadian outlet Globe and Mail. Uh, the last few here that I'll mention is um, 110000 to I already mentioned that, to the LA Times, 92000 to the Houston Chronicle, and 76000 to the Boston Globe. That's just scratching the surface there. But China is heavily, uh, they're heavily pushing propaganda here in America. You know, you think of Chinese propaganda and you think about it just being over there in China and, and in Asia, but China is pushing propaganda here in our homeland, here in America, and they're using our very own media outlets to push the propaganda. And you wonder why Americans have grown frustrated and, and this, this sense of distrust for major media outlets has, has festered and grown. It's because of things like this. Stories like this cause the public to even lose more trust in our news organizations, even more trust lost in our news organizations. And so you pair this with the, the avid denial 
of any type of story about this virus coming from a lab in Wuhan, China, you pair these two things together, and you can only conclude that the reason these media outlets went worked overtime to deny that story and mock people who talked about that story is because these outlets are compromised. They're financially compromised. And this should cause a national security concern. This should cause a national security concern because these eight, these news organizations are supposed to be watchdogs on government. But here they are, and that, not just U.S. government, governments worldwide. But here they are partnering with the Chinese Communist Party, running propaganda ads in these newspapers, and calling it news and even calling it advertisements. All of the propaganda was aimed at undermining the West and propping up the Chinese Communist Party. The story regarding uh, Andrew Cuomo, we talked a little bit about it yesterday. The story regarding Andrew Cuomo, there's, it's twofold here. Well, it's really threefold. You have the executive overreach question regarding the COVID-19 restrictions that were were being complained uh, or being discussed when it comes to Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York. You have the sexual assault allegations, which have been um, investigated and now reported from the Attorney General's office in the state of New York. And then you have the nursing home scandal. Those are three different issues. You've got the nursing home scandal, which we talked about yesterday. I'm going to play one more clip about this uh, Andrew Cuomo sexual assault uh, investigation. This is clip five from the New York Attorney General. At least one former employee for coming forward with her story, her truth. Governor Cuomo's administration fostered a toxic workplace that enabled harassment and created a hostile work environment where staffers did not feel comfortable coming forward with complaints about sexual harassment due to a climate of fear and given the power dynamics. The investigators found that Governor Cuomo's actions and those of the executive chamber violated multiple state and federal laws, as well as the executive chamber's own written policies. This investigation has revealed conduct that corrodes the very fabric and character of our state government and shines light on injustice that can be present at the highest levels of government. That's the New York Attorney General, New York State Attorney General, talking about the sexual assault allegations from Andrew Cuomo, the governor. Now all the Democrats are they're coming together saying he should resign. And um, I told you that this was an attempt to distract from the nursing home scandal. This is an attempt to distract from the nursing home scandal, which is also criminal, which would also be, if it were investigated, it would also be investigated in a criminal sense. Was there negligence? Was there negligence in the way that the state officials handled the nursing home patients? And, and you can't say, well, well, he's an executive and he he's, has immunity. Wait. No, you and I, we can't be negligent. When we're driving a vehicle, when we're operating machinery, when we're operating a firearm, when we're doing all these things in the workplace and in our daily life, we can't be negligent and unsafe. We have to make responsible decisions. Otherwise, you could become legally liable for your negligence. Well, how come that same standard doesn't apply to a government leader who is who is sworn to to protect 
the citizens of the state of New York. That's Governor Andrew Cuomo. Well, I told you they were going to use this to distract. Boy, was I right. Uh, this is clip eight. Listen to a state Democrat saying, let's not focus on the nursing homes. Let's focus on the sexual assault allegations. I certainly hope that the assembly is going to take this up. It's well within their jurisdiction to do it. I know that they have put this investigation, uh, Chuck Levine, I believe, who's an assemblyman from Long Island, uh, where I am from. Um, he, I believe he's in charge of the committee that's going to start this process. I believe they tied that investigation for possible impeachment into what was going on with the nursing right. homes and right. the $5 million that the governor made on his book. But I think that it would, what this moment calls for right now is to forget about those other two things right now and deal with this report, which lays out to me um, copious amounts of evidence uh, that would justify removing him from office. Well, that's it. That's a Democrat state rep there, last name of Rice, and she says exactly what I told you is going to happen. Let's let's focus on these sexual assault allegations and let's not focus on the nursing home scandal. I think that's the goal here. Ironically, that's the goal to protect the governor. You know why? Once I once I as I mentioned, the whole sexual assault allegation, here's what's going to happen. Mark my word. They're going to they're going to they've already run an investigation. That's why the AG did the press conference. But they're going to he's going to resign most likely. He's going to resign and then that's going to be it. They're going to say, well, he's gone, he resigned, he admitted his wrongdoing, so we're just going to move on. <clears throat> and he's not going to be charged with anything. He's not going to be criminally charged with anything as it relates to the sexual assault allegations and the whole attorney general investigation. And by the way, if what he did was criminal, which is what the New York attorney general said, then why were there not charges yesterday announced? Why would you hold a press conference and go through all this about how the governor broke the law harassing women, but you're not going to charge him? That's your job as the attorney general. It reminds me of the Hillary Clinton press conference. Remember that? James Comey, a few weeks before the election, steps out and outlines all the ways Hillary Clinton broke the law with her server in the bathroom but but no reasonable prosecutor would prosecute this case the same thing's gonna happen here and it's really a shame for the people of new york who deserve to have a leader with integrity and a leader who's held accountable afa at the core will be back in a few minutes The American Family Association's mission is to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. Our goal is to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Here are some of our core values. AFA aims to evangelize the lost and disciple the believer. AFA aims to strengthen biblical marriages and equip parents to raise godly children. Thank you for standing with us as we seek to stop the erosion of godly values. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality. I loved it. I loved how biblically sound it was, all the scripture to back it up. The testimonies were very powerful. 
if it's a prodigal child that has just run away or one that's caught up in same-sex attraction. There's hope in Jesus. In His Image is now available on DVD and can be purchased in bulk to pass out to friends and family. Order today by visiting afastore.net. Did you know that over 62 million babies have been aborted since Roe versus Wade? Every single one of these babies' lives was dear and precious. Why isn't the world declaring these babies as lost? Here's Dan Steiner, the president of Preborn, a ministry dedicated to saving babies' lives from abortion through ultrasound. I sense God's broken heart over the issue of abortion. You see, he sees every little baby that's being formed in the mother's womb, and it breaks his heart to see when the lifetime that he has planned for them is taken from them violently so often. The Ministry of Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country, introducing women considering abortion to their precious preborn baby. By letting a mother see her baby on ultrasound and hear the heartbeat, she'll choose life 80% of the time. To find out more, go to preborn.com or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. While in the emergency room with my wife, as she was struggling with the COVID-19 virus herself, and I looked at her, I said, are you scared? And she said, a a little bit, but I've been through worse. The Certainty of Mankind's History with Uncertainty, an article by Peter Rosenberger. And then as her fever was approaching almost 103, she started singing in Christ alone. I placed my trust and find my glory in the power of the cross. And that's how she has anchored herself in the certainty of Christ through her huge medical journey that has included 80 surgeries, both of her legs amputated, 100 doctors have treated her, 12 hospitals, and now the COVID-19 virus. And so when we live with those kinds of uncertainties, anchoring ourselves in Christ, in Christ alone, that's the only place we can run to where there is certainty. To read this article and more, visit afa.net forward slash the stand. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to the last segment of AFA at the Core here on American Family Radio Network. Don't forget to check out our website, AFR.net, AFR.net, or download the American Family Radio nap, uh, not nap, app. Download the American Family Radio Is app. Is it that time? <laughs> Surely not, Bobby. It's just the last segment. Come on, Walker. Get through the day, man. Who needs a nap? You know, I really don't. I'm really not a napper because my wife can tell you when I nap, I wake up in a bad mood. I wake up grumpy um, and it's just not good for the family. So I'm not a napper. Um, Something about being woken up does not bode well for me. And occasionally I'll fall asleep on the couch in the evening watching television (laughs) And my wife can tell you, when I wake up, you do not want to talk to Walker after he is awoken uh, or awakened from his sleep. So no naps for Walker. No naps for <laughs> Walker. This, uh, a couple of stories. I'm, I'm going to spend this segment mostly talking about COVID-19 related, related topics. And this thing's getting ramped up. Uh, this rhetoric and the policies are getting ramped up by the Democrats who are uh, trying to force every American to get the vaccine no matter what. No matter what, that's the goal, and they've admitted that. Well, the uh, as it relates to this uh, COVID nineteen and, and the virus, there's you know there's been the mask mandates going on across the country, 
We've all experienced them to some extent. Well, the CDC, uh, well, this is not the CDC. This is a professor. He is the director of Center. He's the director of the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy at the University of Minnesota. His uh, name is Dr. Michael Osterholm. And he was on CNN just this past weekend talking about, he was on Monday on CNN's Inside Politics, and he made an interesting note, an interesting confession when it comes to cloth face mask. Let's listen to clip four. We know today that many of the face cloth coverings that people wear are not very effective in reducing any of the virus movement in or out. Either you're breathing out or you're breathing in. And in fact, if you're in the upper Midwest right now, anybody who's wearing their face cloth covering can tell you they can smell all the smoke that we're still getting. We need to talk about better masking. We need to talk about N95 respirators, which would do a lot for both people who are not yet uh, vaccinated or not previously infected, protecting them, as well as keeping others who might become infected, having been vaccinated from, from breathing out the virus. That is someone who is supposed to know what they're talking about, and that is Dr. Michael Osterholm from the University of Minnesota. He's the director of the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy there at the university. And you heard what he said there at the beginning of the clip. He said, cloth masks do not work. Cloth masks do not work, Bobby. Did you know that? Is that news to you? No news. No <laughs> news here. But I also believe he's uh, Biden's COVID advisor. He is. Yep. At least uh, he. I know he worked on the transition team. Yeah. During the during the after the campaign, after Biden was elected, he yeah, may still he, be an advisor there. Yeah. He's had significant input to Biden's ear for sure. Absolutely. Um, but that's 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 interesting. Because, you know, we're told to mask up with anything. Uh, you can use a bandana. <laughs> the CDC put out a recommendation last year uh, that you could put a bandana over your face. You could put a T-shirt over your face, anything to cover your face. Well, this fellow, uh, this doctor who, uh, if anybody would know, it would be him. Uh, he said that these cloth face masks absolutely do not work. They do, they do no good at preventing the spread of COVID-19, and that actually goes along with with the studies I've read. The studies I've read, uh, the one I read last week, there are hundreds out there, but the study I read last week uh, showed that, and this was in a hospital setting, that in a hospital setting among hospital workers, that the cloth face mask had actually negative negative effects the cloth people who wore the cloth face mask were more likely to get sick the workers were and then it went on to say that that uh wor- hospital workers healthcare workers who wore the N95 respirators they if they wore their respirator all day long during their shift they were less likely to become ill but if at any point during their shift they took off the N95 respirator it immediately made it less effective. It immediately made it less effective. So that's what the study I read last week uh, showed. And I talked to someone. I talked to someone uh, yesterday, someone who's in the know, and, and they were actually, to my surprise, in favor. Uh, they they mentioned that ma- they do believe masks work to a certain extent, and and specifically they mentioned the N95 mask which are the N95 respirators. Uh, but what many people out in public, the reason I bring this up is the vast majority of the public, at least that I, that I see 
out in public, uh, they're not wearing an N95 respirator. They're wearing these cloth face these cloth uh, uh, face mask, uh, these ones that are made out of basically t-shirts, um, and and this kind of flexible material. They're wearing all kind of the, a face mask. They're wearing the surgical mask uh, that you get when you go to the dentist office. And not many people, some, but not many people are wearing the N95 respirators. And the studies I was reading says that even if you wear those, you need to get a new one, uh, a clean one, uh, each day to wear. So that would be helpful, you know, if the if the government really believes and these healthcare professionals really believe that the masks do um, help prevent or impede the spread of these upper respiratory viruses, uh, you would at least hope that they would give the proper advice on what types of mask you should use. And speaking of face mask, this was, I got a kick out of this. This is out of Fox News, but, you know, I mentioned the uh, CDC eviction moratorium and how that was ended yesterday. Well, the Democrats and the squad, they had this big celebration on Capitol Hill there in the in the front of the Capitol. You know, you and I, we can't go to the Capitol because of COVID. But all the Democrats, about 100 of them, they can gather in front of the Capitol because they're the leaders. They're in charge. They're the kingmakers. So they can gather, but we can't. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York, she was in front of the Capitol with about, it looked like several dozen people, maybe even over 100 people. And she, I watched the video earlier before I came on the show. She literally went the entire time without a face mask outside, which I kind of don't blame her. I wouldn't wear a face mask outside either. The problem is when the cameras were pulled out, at least the cameras she was aware of, because <laughs> I was watching a video, she put her mask on. She pulled it out of her pocket, which means it's probably very dirty, and she put her face mask on for, I don't know, a minute or two while they all did a photo op. And then as soon as the, as soon as the cameras were put up, the face mask came off, and she celebrated, and she hugged, and she talked to all the people outside. But, you know, it's... When when you see that when the American when, when the when the people see that when I see that, it's like come on, come on who who are we joking here? Because if 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 this Democrat if AOC was wearing that face mask because she genuinely thought that it would protect her to some extent from an upper respiratory illness such as COVID, then she would wear it the entire time she was out there. But she didn't do that. She just put it on for the photo op. Which brings into question the genuineness, the sincerity of these leaders who tell us we need to mask up at all times, no matter what, even in our own household with our own families. That's what we're told. But they're not following their own standards. You know, we've got pictures of Nancy Pelosi in the House, in the Capitol, Taking off her mask, taking off her mask, violating her own house order. You have the mayor of D.C. browser. She uh, put a mask mandate in place late last week on Friday, I believe. Well, she goes to some party on Saturday, and she's not wearing a mask. And so at least at a minimum, if you're going to apply these rules and these edicts and these standards to the public, at a minimum, you can at least follow the same standards yourself. Speaking of standards, this is out of um, 
the Atlantic, a former Obama official, her name is Julie Kamen, or Kayum, Julie Kayum, K-A-Y-Y-E-M. She wrote an article today in the Atlantic. And here's what she is proposing as a solution to America's COVID-19 problem. She is proposing a no-fly list for unvaccinated Americans. If you don't have the vaccine, then you can't fly on America's airlines. No joke. Here's the article. This is an article out of Breitbart citing the Atlantic article. Ms. Keem claimed that uh, in the Atlantic that, quote, a no-fly list for unvaccinated adults is an obvious step that the federal government should take, <laughs> end quote, due to the TSA pre-check, which divides passengers into categories according to how much of a threat the government thinks they pose. Wow. At the time of the publication, the headline for the piece echoed this line, stating bluntly, unvaccinated people belong on the no-fly list. The headline has since been changed to a more ambiguous sentence. Unvaccinated people need to bear the burden is the new headline. But in the article, uh, the writer, Ms. Keem, she says this, Flying is not a right, and the case for restricting it to vaccinated people is straightforward. The federal government is the sole entity that can regulate the terms and conditions of airline safety. And although air filtration system and mask requirements make transmission of the coronavirus unlikely during any passenger flight, infected people can spread it when they leave the airport and take off their mask. The whole point of international travel bans is to curb infections in the destination country. To protect itself, the United States still has much, many such restrictions in place. Beyond limiting the virus's flow from hotspots to the rest of the country, allowing only vaccinated people on domestic flights will change minds too. So if you can't fly to see your family come November or December because you're not vaccinated, well, you can blame this former Obama official for floating the idea. And do not put, uh, do not, you know, we, I read these articles and you think, that'll never happen. Walker, and sometimes when I read them, I'm like, this is this is not going to happen. Who's going to do this? Well, you'd be surprised, or you might not be surprised, but the Biden administration, they've admitted. They've admitted them, they, themselves they're willing to go to, quote, extreme measures to hinder the spread of COVID-19. That's their own words. And so anything that they do really at this point would not surprise me. The last story I'll mention for today is out of New York City the great city of New York. This is Governor, I mean, uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio. He announced today, this morning, that in order to enter a restaurant, a bar, or any other facility in New York City, you must be vaccinated. You must be vaccinated. The only problem with this, at least... There's multiple problems with this, but one of the main problems with this is the order, the mayor's order, <clears throat> failed to mention anything about children. It failed to mention any exemption for kids. Well, as you know, kids, at least under 12 at this point, aren't eligible 
to be vaccinated. They're not eligible to be vaccinated. Thus, what the mayor's order in New York City will do will mean that kids can't go out to eat. Kids can't go out to the gym and kids can't go out anywhere else. Why? Because they're not vaccinated. Here's the uh, city health commissioner when questioned by the New York Post about, hey, you guys left out any kind of child exemption from this order. Here's what the uh, city health commissioner said. This is uh, Dr. Dave A. Shosky. The city's health commissioner gave the impression that children were simply forgotten when the policy was crafted. Neglect that is fully in line with how kids have been treated throughout the pandemic. And the story goes on to talk about how uh, the Met Opera in New York City banned all kids under 12 from its performances. If you're a kid under 12, you can't come watch the opera or the opera there in New York City. This is a lawsuit waiting to happen. And this is absolutely insanity. This is shameful. Kids, you can't, your family can't go out. In New York City, your family literally cannot go anywhere in New York City. Why? Because they're not all vaccinated. They're not all vaccinated. And the kids can't even get the vaccine legally. This is Joe Biden's America. Joe Biden's America. The America of what he claimed was going to be no COVID anymore. Economic prosperity and unity is going to hit the land. Well, here we are. The economy's not booming, and there's hardly any unity in our country, thanks to Joe Biden. Can we now say this is Joe Biden's America? This is Joe Biden's America, and we can thank everyone who voted for him. AFA at the core, we'll see you next time. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.